1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we visited this chapter several times, and we're going to read the whole chapter. It's only 10 verses. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, God directing through the Holy Spirit the words that he had to say to them. Paul and Silvanus, Demotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. They themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I don't know if anybody remembers what I said Wednesday night, some point in the lesson, maybe toward the close, but I gave you the first two thoughts of this message. The greatest fact of the past is Jesus died for us. And the greatest fact of the future is Jesus is coming for us, folks. Amen. How do you know that? He said he would. And Jesus is God and God doesn't lie. Amen. We all ought to be familiar with John chapter 14, the first three verses. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, I'm going to pause right there for a moment because I love to explain that. Basically what Jesus is saying is that you trust God, you believe I'm God the Son, you trust me just like you trust the Father. All of the characteristics and attributes of God the Father and God the Son, God cannot lie, Jesus cannot lie. And so he said, beginning in verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you, and I love this part. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, we're told, and again I love it, for the Lord himself shall descend. Okay? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And I don't know if it'll be whoo or what it will be. For some of us, it'll have to be wake up. But the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then in the book of Revelation, in the 22nd chapter, and in verse 12, Jesus said what? He said, Behold, I come quickly... And my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. And then down in verse 20, he said again, Surely I come 
quickly. Folks, Jesus is coming back. Amen. We don't need to doubt it. We don't need to question it. We don't need to wonder about it. Jesus Christ is coming back. And then the Bible gives us the conditions that will exist at his coming. And I believe if you will look around with an open heart and open mind at what is going on, not just in America, but in our world today, you're going to see that, hey, this is happening. We're living in the days. Listen, Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, shall, shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man? Well, what were the days of Noah like? He tells us in the very next verse, in verse 27, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You know what I say? People were consumed with the affairs of everyday life. They're just going through life. They're not giving any thought to God. They're not giving any thought to judgment. You say, but did they know about judgment? For 120 years, Noah preached while he built the ark. He's called a preacher of righteousness. And for 120 years, we assume that's the time he spent building the ark. And you know what he's preaching? Repent. Judgment's coming. And any preacher worth his salt today will preach to people, repent. God's judgment is coming, folks. Amen. It was brought out in the Sunday school class, and I agree. The problem in the world is sin. Amen. By the way, you know what's in the middle of sin? I is in the middle of sin. Okay? <laughs> Be careful. The problem in this world is sin, and repentance is needed. But just like today, people are living consumed with the thoughts of everyday life. They're not giving any thought to God. I don't know when it is. I don't keep up with these things. Either next week or sometime is going to be Super Bowl Sunday. And you know what's going to happen? A lot of people are going to be so caught up, so consumed with a sporting event that they won't even think about God. There will be churches. I've heard of it in the past. I assume it still goes on. But there will be churches who will try to fashion their services around the Super Bowl and some have even been known to pause in the middle of services so they can watch the Super Bowl on the big screen and worship the God of sports instead of the God of heaven. Luke 17 verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Again, everyday activity, everyday life. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In the days of Lot, evil was not only present, it was predominant. It was the way of life. Now, I know when we think of Sodom, there's a lot of things that we think of. But as sin abounded, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But as sin abounded, the saved were vexed. Isn't that what the scripture says? I mean, Lot was about the only one saved there. But it says just Lot, saved Lot, just with God, justified. Just Lot was vexed by what was going on. Let me ask you this. Are you vexed today by what's going on in our world, especially in our nation? Amen. Oh, my goodness, there's not many. Are you vexed by what's going on in churches that purport to be churches of the Lord Jesus Christ? I am. I mean, we ought to be vexed just by the, the desertion of many of our members that just choose not to show up on a Sunday morning. That ought to cause us some problems. Vexed, by the way, means to be worn out, worn down. 
And if anything will wear you out, it's what's going on in the world today is if you're a child of God. But Romans chapter 1, verse 21, seems to describe what was going on in Sodom in the days of Lot. And if you just go over there and read in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You see what was going on? First of all, there was a willful ignorance of God. What does it say? When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. What has happened in America over the past 50 plus years? God's been forgotten. Amen. God's been ignored. Amen. You know, today we live, well actually today much of our nation and many of our leaders live by the religion of humanism. Amen. Putting the person ahead of God. And we've got to serve man and not serve God and that's what's going on in our nation today. And we have slowly not only put God out of our government and put God out of our schools and put God out of our courtrooms. Folks, many people in this nation have put God out of their hearts and put God out of their minds. Amen. We are guilty of willful ignorance. You know what follows willful ignorance? Wicked imagination. Look at what it says. But became vain in their imaginations. Became vain in their imagination. See, when you willfully ignore God, your imagination is going to become vain. What's he talking about? Vain in their imaginations. That word vain means foolish, morally wicked, idolatrous. In fact, it carries the thought of specifically idolatrous. Specifically, well, what do you mean specifically idolatrous? Well, just look at verse 25. It tells us of the specific idol they worshipped. Look at this. And worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. We're specifically idolatrous today. Well, I know what the Bible says, but I, well, you just set the idol of self above God. I know what God wants me to do, but I, will you just put the idol of self right before God? And so we are specifically idolatrous today. Now, when we think of Sodom, what do we normally think of? We think of the sin of sodomy. We think of the homosexuality. And it does talk about that. Verse 23 says, that, but look what they did. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. We'll worship anything, but we want a God that we can see. We want a God that we can hold in our hands. We want a God that we can control. And that's how most of the world and most of this nation are today, folks. Amen. We want a God that we want. We don't want the God who wants to control us. Verse 24 then says, here's, here's, this is a schedule, a plan, a, a road away from God that if you start ignoring God, here's what's coming next, okay? Because verse 24 says, they dishonored their own bodies between themselves. You know what that is? That is sexual impurity, fornication, adultery. People don't think anything especially 
the younger generation. You know, I'm at that age where I can talk about the younger generation now. That younger generation thinks absolutely nothing of just shacking up. I'm going to call it what it is. And living together without the benefit of marriage and committing fornication as they do. That's what's going on. You hear so many, and you know what? Some people, and even some of God's people, a young boy and a young girl have been living together and she finds out she's going to have a baby and some of God's people think that's just the greatest thing. That child's being born out of wedlock. Now don't blame the child. Amen. A child cannot help who its parents are. We don't have illegitimate children today. We have illegitimate parents today is what we have. But they worship the creature more than the creator and so dishonored their own bodies between themselves. By the way, Sodom was one of the very first free love societies, wasn't it? You know, remember, any of y'all old enough, I know you are, remember back in the free love days of the hippie 60s? You know, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. That was a very popular song back then. Well, Sodom was one of the first places where they did that. Society today thinks they found something new. Guess what? It's the same old sin. We put a different name on it. We call it something else. But it is the same old sin that the Bible talks about. And then in verses 26 and 27, it talks about they followed vile affection to begin to practice women changing the natural use into that which is against nature and men with men working that which is unseemly. So you have a willful ignorance and you have wicked imaginations that follow willful ignorance. And you know what's next? A waning illumination. A waning illumination and their foolish heart was darkened. There's the prescription for going away from God. Someone put it this way, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. Folks, that's this, that's this nation today. That's this world today. And the descent into disgrace in America began when we decided we're going to put God out of our institutions, we're going to put God out of our lives, and we have gone downward ever since. We're looking at the conditions that will occur before the Lord's return. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, when men say peace and safety. Okay? What are we hearing today? People want peace. People would love to see peace. They want to feel safe in their homes. Now, is there anything that I've mentioned from the Word of God so far that is not taking place in our world and in our nation today? No. All of these things I've talked about are taking place in our nation and in our world. And someone might say, but these have always gone on. Well, that may be true. But there's one indicator I think most people miss. See, I believe that throughout history, the standard for God's judgment has always been God's people. Go back to the book of Genesis when those who wanted to be called by the name of the Lord began to intermarry with the world, the lost people, and get just like the world. God said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to send a flood. And he did. You look at Israel and every time they went away from God and they began to worship idols, what did God do? He chastened them. Now, 
Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses, and I believe he's talking about people who claim Christ and who may even be in the Lord's churches. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, and I'll tell you in a minute why I believe that. Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Folks, why do I believe that that applies to folks in the Lord's churches? Because this is the attitude and the actions of the world at large, of lost people. When God's people get like the world, when people who are members of the Lord's churches get just like the world around them, and we're doing it, churches are inviting the world into the church. Amen. Now the ship has to be in the water. But when the water starts getting in the ship, you're in trouble. Amen. And folks, the water's getting in the ship. We're going down. Many of the Lord's churches just think, okay, we'll get a little more worldly so we can get a few more of the world. Well, you're just going to get more and more worldly when you do that. If you can't read the newspaper, see it on television, hear it on the radio, or if you can do that and not believe that the coming of Christ is near, folks, I'm going to pray for you. And you need people to pray for you. The things that are happening lead us to the next great event on God's calendar, and that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to mention very quickly, and I'm going to have to do it quickly, so y'all fasten your pew belts and hang on this morning because we're going to go quickly through this. I'm going to mention some things because the question is, are you ready for the rapture? And 1 Thessalonians 1 tells us how to live ready for Christ's return. And then verse 10 talks about his coming. If we're going to live ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, we need to be certain of our relationship with God. In other words, you need to be saved. Okay? What does it mean to be saved? Well, it means to be, look what it says in verse 1. It means to be in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of cheap salvation in the world today. You know, you just be good and it requires absolutely nothing of the sinner. It doesn't require any change of heart. It doesn't require any commitment to God. You just come along and I just, this one bugs me when I hear a preacher say, just invite Jesus into your heart. No, give your heart to Jesus, okay? That's what it means to be saved. The source of salvation is God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a works list any man should boast. You say, well, what's grace? Well, grace, here's a little acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Salvation is not in the goodness of man. Salvation is in the grace of God. Amen. Well, why did God want to be graceful? Why did God love it? I cannot tell you why. Because, folks, there have been times I've thought, well, if I were God, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't have sent my son to die for any of you. I wouldn't have sent him to die for me. But it's in the grace of God. And, and it's in also the Son. What does it mean to be in Christ? It speaks of position. If you're a child of God, you are in Christ today. You're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, what's Adam? 
Well, Adam's the old man. Adam is the old nature. Well, what's the old nature? Well, just look back for a moment to the book of Ephesians, the second chapter. And this describes the condition of all who are lost. This is where you and I were before we were saved. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, get that, were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We deserved God's wrath. Amen. Yeah, I've told you I love that little word, but in the scriptures, God's going to wipe out everything, every living thing on earth with a flood, but Noah. Look at verse 4 here in Ephesians 2, but God. I love that. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you're saved. Woo! <laughs> right? That's beautiful. Here we are going away from God, giving God no thought, and God moves in grace and saves us, sends Jesus to die for us. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to be in the new man, the new nature, which only comes from a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? You repent toward God, turn from your sin, repent toward God, ask Jesus to save you, trusting only what he did on the cross, only the payment that he made at Calvary, and he will save you. In an instant, just like that, you don't hear that from a lot of pulpits today. You don't hear that from a lot of preachers today. But it is a change in repentance that comes by repentance toward God and faith in Christ. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that what? Whosoever believeth him, trust him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Paul preached. You go to Acts chapter 20, and look at verse 21. He said, here's his message. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being saved means more than just believing in the existence of Christ. The devils believe in God. The demons believe in God, James says, and they tremble. I wish I'd get some of God's people to tremble like demons do when they think of God. But they don't do it. It means a heart acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what happens many times, and this is why I'm so careful, and I'm playing with children when children want to talk to me about being saved. Because many times children, just because they think, because they believe up here in Jesus that they're saved. No, they have to have it in the hearts just like any adult does. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it speaks of making a commitment. Salvation is not just a get out of hell free card. Amen. Salvation is a heart commitment to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll add through one of his churches and we're going to get to that. Alright? Not only do we need to be saved, we need an absolute assurance of our salvation. Look at verses 4 and 5. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what men are men, we were among you for your sake. Not only do we need to be saved, we need that absolute assurance, and it is possible. A whole book of the Bible was written that we can know that we're saved. 
The book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know, that you may see, that you may perceive that you have eternal life. Preacher, I got some questions about my salvation. I tell you what, read the book of 1 John. Before you do that, pray and ask God either to convict you that you need to be saved or convince you that you are. And I tell you what, you can get an answer. And it won't be this preacher's opinion. It'll be what God's word says. 1 John was written for that purpose. Now this assurance is noted in three things and they're found here in verses four and five. Knowing brethren beloved your election of God. God's chosen you. Not in the Calvinistic sense of choosing. Not that before God ever created the world he picked out certain people to be saved and certain people to be lost. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. Because if you look into the word of God, what does it say? Ephesians 1, 4, according as he hath chosen us in him. Who's him? It's Jesus. In him before the foundation of the world. You know what God decided before the foundation of the world? Everybody who accepts my son, I'll choose them to be my child. That's biblical election. God has chosen all those who trust Christ to be his. So it's the eternal will of God. Verse 5, it says it's the supernal work of Christ. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. He's talking about the gospel. He's saying we rest, our salvation rests in the finished work of Jesus. Hanging there on the cross. What did Jesus say? Last thing he said before he bowed his head and dismissed the spirit from his body. He said, tetelestai, that's a Greek word, means it is finished, it is paid in full, it is complete, it is enough. Now I've heard of some boneheads, for lack of a better thing to call them, who say, oh, what that means, Jesus was saying that his part of salvation was finished, but you gotta do your part. Folks, that's baloney. Jesus said, I've done everything necessary to purchase salvation. And the only thing the sinner has to do is turn to me and trust me and ask me to save him and I'll do it. The finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the internal witness of the Spirit. That's what it says here. Listen, again, our gospel came not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Well, what is the internal witness of the Holy Spirit? Listen to 1 John 5.10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. You know what that's talking about? The Holy Spirit, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit who indwells you will just sort of whisper amen to your spirit that you're a child of God. Amen. You'll have that assurance. How can somebody be so certain? I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven because of this witness of the Holy Spirit. It's not an emotional feeling. Some morning you may get up and not feel saved. Amen. A lot of mornings you may get up and not feel saved, you know. You get up with a back hurting like I do or something like that. Or you've just had sort of a down day. You know, Monday's my worst day. Folks, I'm up here on Sunday. I'm down here on Monday. I don't know if you've experienced that or not. But it's just, it's just you fall. Well, do you feel saved on Monday morning? Feeling saved and being saved are two different things. Amen. And I know I'm saved. <laughs> No matter how, how flat I get sometimes on a Monday morning, it's an assurance from God. Here's some of the marks of a saved person from 1 John 5. Verse 1, he believes that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He loves God, verses 2 and 3, and he keeps his commandments, and those commandments are not a burden to him. 
And then in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, he overcomes the world. You can check that out for yourself. If you are waiting for Jesus to come, listen, you better be certain of your salvation. Because when he comes, only those who are dead in Christ, those who have died trusting Christ, and those who are alive having trusted Christ are going to be caught up at that time. Number three, we need a devoted service to Christ. Now, service to Christ will not keep you saved. If you don't serve him, and if you're saved and you don't serve him, you'll not lose your salvation. You'll lose rewards. You'll lose blessings on this earth. But if you're a child of God, you need a devoted service to the Lord Jesus Christ through one of his churches. And you know why I say that? Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by, talking about God, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. God gets glory in and through New Testament churches. Amen. That's what this church is supposed to do and I believe does. But folks, we need to keep on doing it. Amen. Keep on preaching the word and living for the Lord. Jesus said, occupy till I come. Now, word occupy means to be busy with an occupation. Be doing a job. Be performing a work. That's what it means. We have the idea of occupy means take up space. No. It means to be working. Look at what he says in these verses to the Thessalonians, what Paul saw in this church. First of all, you notice he says in verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. True faith is going to produce corresponding good works in the life of a child of God. Some people bring a big question mark over their salvation because they've never done a single work for the Lord. They walked an aisle, they said they were saved, they may have joined a church, but they've never opened their Bibles, they've never really prayed, they've muttered a few words maybe to God, They've done some things, but they've never really worked for the Lord. James 2.17, even so faith, if it hath not works. That means if your so-called faith is not producing works in your life, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. That's it. You need works. Faith in Christ will cause us to work for him. But look at what else he mentions. Not only your work of faith and labor of love. That word labor is an interesting word. You know what it means? It means toil to the point of exhaustion. How many of God's people today toil to the point of exhaustion working for the Lord? Labor talked about the price. It talks about the price. There is no cheap, easy, lazy way to serve God. It takes some effort. It takes some energy. It takes some desire to serve God. See, faith leads to works and labor shows our love. I just, I love God so much there's nothing that he could ask of me that I would not do for him. There's nothing that he would ask that is too great for me to do because God's guaranteed me if he wants me to do it, he'll give me the ability to do it. You know, I mean, just labor for him. Just work for the Lord and do what he says and show your love for him. And then patience of hope. Patience, we know, talks about endurance. If you don't know what hope refers to now, we need to go back and review 10,000 sermons. <laughs> I mention it quite often, glad expectation. The endurance of glad expectation. Jesus is coming back. I'm a child of God. I'm going to go and be with the Lord. 
But you know what our hope is, what our glad expectation is? Listen to Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our blessed hope. The only thing that's going to make this world better is the coming of Jesus. And the only thing that's really going to make things better for us is the coming of Jesus, right? We have hope. We don't have a dead hope. We have a living hope. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon, okay? As the song that was sung earlier says, our expectation in Christ's coming, we're going to turn over to 1 John chapter 3 for just a moment. Our expectation of Christ's coming should cause us to endure to last even in persecution and to faithfully serve the Lord. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, the first three verses. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of the born ones of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. You're a child of God right now. Amen. You're a born one of God. Okay, beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be we don't look like children of God right now. We don't know what the glorified body looks like, but we don't look like it right now. Doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know, knowledge, certainty, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he says this in verse 3, And every man that hath this hope, hope in him, purifieth himself even as he is pure. I'm a child of God, don't look like it, but I'm going to look like it one of these days. Jesus is coming back. I'll see him as he is. I'm going to be like him. So guess what? In this flesh, I ought to live as much like Jesus Christ as I can. Amen. Paul wanted to share, to fellowship in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Patience of hope. It ought to produce some faithfulness to us. Number four, we need to prepare. If we're looking for the Lord to return, we need to prepare for persecution. We need to be steadfast. We need to be patient. We need to be enduring. Look at what he says. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit. Look at the contrast there. In much affliction with joy. In much affliction with joy. You say, wait, that, that's almost an oxymoron. Okay. Affliction is pressure. It's also translated anguish, persecution, <laughs> tribulation, trouble. See, if you want to read about Paul coming to Thessalonica the first time, go to Acts chapter 17 and read those first few verses. And he had nothing but trouble. They arrested a man named Jason and wouldn't let him go until Paul and those with him would agree to leave the city, and they did. So they went down to Berea, and guess what? The folks that were persecuting him went down to Berea and persecuted him there. Listen, if you stand up for the Lord, you're going to have persecution. You're going to have pressure. You're going to have affliction. But he says, affliction with joy. Much affliction with joy. Joy is cheerfulness, calm delight. It's from a word that means to be calmly happy. Can you be calmly happy in the middle of difficulty? In the middle of trial? In the middle of tribulation, well, if you know the Lord Jesus, you can. If you're faithfully serving him especially, you can do that. Only when you have assurance and the security of God can you have joy in affliction. Amen. We're all going to have trouble. Man, that's born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. We're all going to have difficulty. But we can have joy. What does 1 Thessalonians 5.18 say? Anybody remember that one? In everything. 
In the middle of everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Joy in the middle of affliction. And today, believers are being and will be persecuted economically, psychologically, and in every way possible. How do they portray believers in the sitcoms today, you know, even in the dramas today on television? Bitter, hateful, ignorant, a lot of that way. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We're told that. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16 that if you stand for me, the world's going to hate you. It hated me. It'll hate you. It's not going to hate the master and love the servant. The world will hate the master and hate the servant. So Peter said, don't think it's strange when you go through trial and tribulation, but listen to what he said in verse 13, but rejoice. <laughs> there it is. Persecution and joy. Rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Don't think it's strange when you're persecuted, but rejoice when you are, if you're being persecuted for the cause of Christ. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul said, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I mentioned that being made conformable unto his death. Paul said, I want to be so much like Jesus, I even want to share in his sufferings. So we need to be, if we're waiting for Jesus to come, we need to be ready to endure persecution. Number five, we need to learn how to share our faith. Verses seven and eight, look what he says. So that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. First of all, he said you were in samples or examples. They had sounded out the word. They had witnessed to a part of other people. The word witness is the same word from which we get our word martyr. Now, these were not only witnesses, but they were a part of the evidence. See, and that's what we're supposed to be. We're the witness of Jesus, but we're supposed to be a part of the evidence of the saving power of Jesus. I don't want to see a show of hands, but how many have ever led someone to Christ? Think about it. And people will say, oh, preacher, if I just had cemetery training. <laughs> Sometimes, you know. Oh, preacher, if I just had seminary training like you. If I just, gone, I've gone through some soul winning courses and folks, they didn't do me any good. Amen. This church at Thessalonica was less than 18 months old. And what does he say of them? Their witness was so complete that everywhere Paul went, the gospel had already been preached. We can't find anybody to witness to. You've already been there. 18 months old, and they're out there witnessing. There's something wrong with the Lord's churches today, folks. If you want to look at what the condition of America is and why, we need to go look in the mirror. We're given one job to do. Well, our main job is to glorify God, but as a part of that, what's the job we're supposed to do? Be witnesses, be disciple makers, and we're not doing it. I love this. This is good. But folks, this is the salt in the shaker. And pardon my grammar, but 
salt in the shaker ain't going to help nobody. Amen. It won't do anybody any good. I'm a saltaholic, y'all know that. That salt's got to come out of that shaker. And I don't even mind sometimes if it comes out real fast. I say, good, I have an excuse for having too much. We are salt and we're supposed to be witnessing of Christ. Jesus expects us to. Acts 1.8, you shall be witnesses unto me. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, 46 and 47, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Matthew 28, go ye therefore and teach or disciple all nations. I mean, the Lord expects us to witness. Let me ask you some quick questions. I've got to hurry up. Do we really believe in hell? Yeah. Hmm, some of us do. Do we really believe that lost people, when they die, are going to go to hell? A few more, a few less, something. Do we really believe that Jesus is coming again? Amen. Well, good. Everybody believes that. Do we believe in the great tribulation that the Bible talks about? Amen. Well, then, folks, we need to be witnessing. Amen. We need to be telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. One more. We need to make a clean break with the world. And that's probably the hardest thing for us to do, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Separation. Look at what he says. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We need to be separated from every idol that we bow to as God's people. You say, preacher, now wait a minute. I don't worship any idols. Well, what about the most convenient idol? S-E-L-F. This is what I want to do. What did, you, did you pray about it? Seek God's will? Well, no, this is just what I want. No, that, that's putting self ahead of God. Colossians 3, 5, covetousness, which is idolatry. You ever want what somebody else has? No, I don't want what you have. I just want equal to what you have. Well, you're still wanting. You know, we go beyond what God gives us. We may be guilty of covetousness, Philippians 3.19 talks about enemies of the cross whose God is their belly. Uh-oh, I am getting in trouble now. Amen. That's some folks whose God is their belly. Amen. They don't eat to live. They live to eat. Amen. Be careful. Oh, there's something I want to say and I don't have. No, I better not say it. 2 Timothy 3 verse 4, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And there are folks who profess Christ as Savior who love pleasure more than they love God. And 2 Timothy 3, 2, I mentioned it at the outset, lovers of their own selves. Those are all idols that we can worship. Food, fun, you know, self. All of these we can worship. Anything we love more, fear more, serve more, or trust more than God is an idol. Anything that comes between us and our service of God is an idol. And we're supposed to put the idols out of our lives and look at the order of it. Here's how you, how do I do that, preacher? Well, it says right here in the Word of God. Look at verse 9. It does not say you turn from idols to God, does it? What'd they do? They turn to God. And after they turn to God, they turn from idols. You can't turn yourself from an idol. I can't turn myself from an idol. We can't do it. But we can turn to God. And God can turn us.
And that's what we ought to do. James 4, 7 says submit to God before it says resist the devil. James says submit to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says draw nigh to God before it says cleanse your hands, your sinners. See, God's got to come first. We've got to turn to God. We've got to say, Lord, I've got this thing in my life that's keeping me from serving you the way I ought to serve you. Lord, turn me from it. And we give ourselves to him and let him turn us. It may be, let's go back to witnessing for just a moment. And this is probably what keeps most people from witnessing. It may just be the fear of talking to other people about the Lord. Amen. Lord, turn me from that. Lord, take the fear of talking to people. God hath not given us, 2 Timothy 1.7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Lord, take away the fear that I have of talking to people about you and just give me that strength, that power, that desire to witness of Christ to other people. If we're going to be found right and living right when Jesus comes, we must have lives that are separated from the world and separated to God. And that's the proper order. The coming of Jesus is not a wish. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a suggestion, folks. It is reality. Amen. Jesus is coming again. Again, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. If you're saved, you're going to be caught up to him. Amen. With everybody else who's saved. But if you're not saved. And I hope I'm just speaking to folks who are watching by live stream today. If you're not saved, you're going to be left behind to believe the lies of the Antichrist. I'd never believe the Antichrist. Oh, listen to 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 10. Because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, literally the lie, talking about the lie of the Antichrist, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If you will not accept God's mercy today, it will not be extended to you on that day. That's plain, preacher. Well, the Bible's plain. The Bible's clear. For those of us who are saved, I preached a message with this title once before, but I'm going to ask you this question. For those of us who are saved, now this is not the title of the message. For those of us who are saved, are we merely prepared or are we ready? I said when I set the sermon title, Sister Vicki, are you ready for the rapture? She replied, yes. And I think she is. There's a difference between being prepared and being ready. I've used the illustration before. When we pastored three hours away from home, we'd come for a visit and it was time to go back. And we would have the suitcases packed and loaded in the car. We were prepared to go. But I was never ready. Because it indicated a willingness I knew I had to go back to where the Lord had put me to pastor, but there was a part of me didn't want to. See, so you can be saved and be a church member, be baptized, be a church member, and all of that, and still not live ready. So are you not just prepared, but are you ready for the coming of Christ? In other words, do you occupy or do you just take up space? We need to be occupying. 